Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to generally famous but always interesting guests about life, love and what makes them tick. This week I've got the real privilege to have two of the best, most well-known restaurateurs in New Zealand. They've won a gazillion, and yes gazillion is a technical term, uh, prestigious restaurant awards over many years now. They're partners in work, life and love. Welcome Sid and Shand Sarawat. Thank you for having us. Hey, um, I think I want to start because I've just been to one and you know I'm excited about the general amazingness with your restaurants and talk a bit about those and you've had a number you obviously had uh, Siddharth in Ponsonby which is the first you opened in 2009 and uh, you've then helped your friend and a chef another great chef into that and he's got that now so you're kind of do you have anything to do with that or is that um, not really. I mean, we're we sort of we're friends, so we always kind of chat, and you know yeah. how he's going, and if he's happy with everything, and yeah, it's always nice to just kind of bounce off different ideas and different kind of scenarios. Yeah. Then you've got Cassia on Fort Lane since 2014, and of course Sid at the French Cafe since 2018, and your new venture, which I'm really excited to talk about, um, Cole, and. Uh, my understanding is, so Sid, you're executive chef, you're there being boss in the, the kitchen, and Chand, you're lead kind of on all operational aspects, in a sense, everything else. So Chand, who's the boss? I don't know, it's kind of 50-50, isn't it? For sure. Or maybe 80-20, with me being 20. <laughs> yeah, I would say we're 50-50, and most, most of the time. And in your different domains. In, in different domains, for sure. Um, which of you is better with money? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I guess it depends on where it's involved. Yeah. Um, I think she's sort of more into the design part and the admin part, and I'm sort of the day-to-day running. So there's things that I probably think I'm a bit more sort of lenient with, which she might say, oh, well, why are we spending on that? But then I'm the other way around with something. So I guess we... We have our kind of moments with money. If you ask me to calculate the interest of something, he's probably better at that. Right. But then when you say some strategic decision around investment, that's probably where it comes to me and he probably wouldn't know yeah. on on those big decisions. On yes. Yeah, I just asked about the money because I know with my wife, if we ever went to business, that would be where it all went bad. <laughs> right. She's a spender. And I'm a kind of a no. We shouldn't do that. Let's um, let's not spend it. So that's sort of that. Um, and let's do justice to your three um, current endeavours, which, as I say, uh, are amazing. You've got sit at the French uh, Cafe, um, and that's modern Kiwi cuisine incorporating French techniques. Um, and and obviously, you know, and one of and prior to you as well, which I'm sure you'd acknowledge, one of Auckland's finest dining. Uh, restaurants. Um, I've been there recently. We uh, had the uh, vegetarian degustation, I suppose you'd say, um, and and the champagne was good as well. Um, <laughs> but it was, I think, a little Louis Rotera, um, and uh, it, it was just uh, superlative. It was absolutely fantastic. What's the? Maybe this is one for you, Sid. What's the? Is the sort of the creative guy and force in the kitchen? What's the co-papa? What are you, what are you trying to achieve? In the in, in with with uh, uh, the French cafe, for us, I guess we want to really take people on a journey there. It's got this amazing oasis when you enter there. It kind of is very, it's it's very, um, I guess, uh, unassuming when you see it from outside. It feels mm. like it's going to be the small little shell, but then yes. it just sort of keeps going with the beautiful dining rooms and going and going totally. <laughs> and then you have the courtyard, you have the cellar, you have the uh, honey, the bees there. Um, you have beautiful herbs, fig leaf, and then you have the French kitchen, which is amazing for like birthdays and celebrations. And so I think it just takes people on this real kind of, you feel like you're out of Auckland when you're in there, Yes, from my point of view. And then when it comes to the food and service, we want it to be creative, engaging, provocative, but also something that you don't really eat at home. But again, we want to use the best of New Zealand, good good techniques, a lot of French flair in there. A lot of beautiful New Zealand and French wines and from the world. Yes. So I think it's that amalgamation of an experience that we want to try and create, which is just its own style. 
you know, it, it succeeds in that. And you're actually, I didn't really consciously think about that, but you're exactly right. It's, um, you go in and it keeps going and going. There's layers. It's like Narnia wardrobe when you go through the, the furry coats and then you're in a big sort of wonderland. It's, um, yeah, it's amazing. And let's talk the food a little more. I mean, one of the things that I thought was, um, is very interesting is, you know, it's obviously, as I said, I, I kind of went vegetarian because I like vegetarian, but to be honest, it's hard to do well, I think, and to make it have a taste and a, um, and a, and a fabulousness, and you succeeded in spades in that regard. So it tastes great, um, but it's also beautiful. And I mean, as you know, your former name, Siddharth, sort of suggests it's art, right? Is there, a, is there a trade-off there, or are you able kind of, do you think when you're putting your menu together, do both of those things get amazing taste and a beautiful picture on the plate as well? Yeah, I guess, and that's uh, that's the most important thing about food, that of course it's got to eat really well, but you know, the first impression is when you look at it, so the aesthetics are as important. And for us, first thing we do when we create a dish is all about the flavor combination, the texture, temperature, uh, all those things. But then obviously we think of how we can execute that dish. And there's so many different ways of serving a piece of carrot or kohlrabi or a piece of cheese. And there's, you know, there, you can do so many different things. And that's the beauty about having all these amazing chefs work together collaborative and they all have different ideas from different walks of life and different places they've worked and that's what really makes it quite uh, rewarding as a chef or as a restaurant where everyone's there's no egos involved it's just like oh what about this what about if we cook this on this temperature or we fried it you just want it to be the best it can possibly be from our opinion absolutely and you're right about that I mean we had I think might have been the main ostensibly or or, or certainly towards the latter half of the, the the various courses we were having there was a carrot there or carrots and um, I think you'd, you'd explained to me um, that they were sort of almost like a Māori hungi style. And they tasted, my wife Natalie said, they taste like meat, yeah. right? They have a sort of an earthy or something, a solidness to them yeah. from the way you've... I mean, is that purposeful? For sure. I mean, for me, I think if uh, I've sort of become known for carrot dishes, <laughs> which I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. but <laughs> You should set up a restaurant in Owakuni, which yeah, is exactly. kind of home of the carrots, yeah. And what's quite uh, neat is that our, our head chef is Tommy, uh, he's Kiwi, and he's worked uh, at Attica for three years in Melbourne, which is Kiwi chef Ben Shuri. So uh, I, quite, uh, I really enjoy working with him in terms of ideas and flavours, and we talked about this carrot, and uh, in Attica they used to cook the potato in the soil, so we do the same. We go to OMG, which is the community garden across the road. We grab the soil, and he covers the carrots with that, cooks it in there for about an hour and a half, and then smokes it. Crazy. Then dehydrates it. So there's all these like little steps involved, but we don't want to make a and big song and dance about it. We just thought a carrot was a carrot. Exactly. Right? But, you know, it's um, no, that's amazing. And, and Shan, do you have a favorite dish on the menu at Sid's? Uh, I, I can French? never have a favorite dish at French because he keeps changing the yeah. menu. Like every month. Yeah. So yeah. if I go back for something, it's never there. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you can pull ranks. Why well, asked who was boss, right? You can say, look, I want that. I think that, you know, that cap goes to our daughter. Right. Even this morning before we came <laughs> here, uh, he, the first thing he sees her, he shows her a bag and he's like, guess what's in here? It's pork belly. It's her favorite Fantastic. thing. Fantastic. So I guess you know which woman he likes to please in the house. Yeah, more yeah. Than me. Well, my fathers and their daughters. I know. Mm. I know that very well. The other thing I was interested in was, you know, you're a very technical chef, right? You're very proficient, and not everyone is, right? Some it's sort of a more of a feel, and so how's that balance between the getting it technically, which at the end it's almost quite scientific in a way, that science right versus the creativity and the creative impulse? Do you kind of have a um, yeah, I mean, is there a balance to be had there? or a... For sure. I mean, you can't have all technique and then, you know, the dish completely out of balance. So I think it's a, uh, it's very important to have the balance of technique, flavor, and the texture you're trying to achieve. Um, for us, that's the most important thing is um, technique is, is something that really showcases the reflection of a good restaurant or yeah. whatever hospitality, whether it's making a cocktail it's all taken off so much in the world now that people are looking up to different places in the world to get good ideas and um, and just different 
different kind of forms. It's all very well to have an exploding dessert or, you know, something with fire and smoke and all this, but if it doesn't taste good, exactly, it's kind of not so good. Chan, one of the things I also loved was, and, you know, I'm not being paid by the way to just be nice to these guys about their restaurants, but it felt like with, in particular, Maitre D', um, who, you know, you can just tell has been a professional in the game for a long time, right? So he's not just a varsity kid. Not there's anything wrong with that, yeah. but, you know, he he's, and I love that, it's about, because that's what I like about overseas restaurants, right? If you're in Melbourne or somewhere in the US or London, you know, these people are deeply steeped. Now, you've got a big staff, I think, across your restaurants, there's 40, 50 um, um, staff. We know it's hard to get staff. I mean, are you out there hand-picking them, or how does that work? At the moment, I'm on Facebook all the time, looking at groups, looking at who's looking to... Because if you look at um, a hospital group, if you have an employer offering a job right now, there's about one person applying for it. But on the other hand, if an employee is looking for work in hospitality, there's about 45 to 50 employers jumping on the one person. So it's trying to attract talent like never before right now so that's what I'm doing right now you have I presume a very good advantage which is in the end particularly for the chefs but actually for anyone who wants to be serious in hospo they want to be able to say you know I trained under Sid Sarawak we're in a fortunate position Um, so I think that's how we will be able to ride this out but it is hard out there and I think it's uh, a big issue that I'd like to be, well, I am working on is trying to attract more Kiwis to see that hospital is a career yes. and not just a stopgap thing so that when people like you or any rest, guest comes in, they get the benefit of someone who's had a lot of experience in hospitality serving them. Because to get that kind of professional, we need to start attracting the younger generation to start thinking of it. Like in France, they think of yes. it as a career. I um, I did five years in hospital. Mainly wine, I, I have to say, not so much. That, but I could, look at a. I could carry three. At a push, I could do four plates. Four plates, so wow! At a push, you know, if <laughs> yeah. I, I buy. The other thing has amazed me, and we'll move on from um, French cafe shortly. But it, you know, in your kitchen, it's um, there's military precision, and I know we might come back to this. Your dad was a general in the yeah. Indian Army, right? So I, I feel like there's something in that. And the other thing about it is. Um, it's like a live show, right? But not a not in a um, not in a circus style sense. But it's like a sort of like a Swiss clock. Everyone has got their unique role, and they do it, and they're completely on it. What are they all doing, Sid? These sort of eight, nine, or whatever it is, people in the kitchen. <laughs> they're basically pieces to the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, they're all sort of doing their own thing. Some people are busy organizing the snacks for the day. Some people are getting the desserts ready. Some are just working on new ideas. So that's the cool thing is that without any of them, that puzzle is not complete. Um, And that's what makes it beautiful. I just come in, slide in, out, and I I can see what's happening. And then I'll just talk to my head chef and, you know, we sort of work on ideas. But at the same time, I, I do talk to each person and I want them to come up with as many ideas as they want. As long as it eats well, and you know, sometimes some things don't make it to the menu, but that's the beauty about it. And as so, you, you, when you're putting that menu together, different every month, it's very collaborative. They're all coming with ideas. In the end, I presume you're the you you are the boss. You have to sort of make final decisions, but they're all coming to the table, as it were, with their thoughts. For sure, it's not like the dish. The dish could they could just have an idea of a technique, an ingredient, or something. So. We might use that somewhere along the track in terms of a menu two, day, two weeks uh, down the line or two years, you know. And that's the beauty about food is that it doesn't have to be someone who's working there at that time. If we like a flavor, we might use it for, for a long time. But in different forms, different parts of the menu, something could make a dessert one day that could become a savory in sort of similar scenario the other time mm. the fable has it you two went on a first or second date at the french cafe you know what's this back in the early 2000s um if that's so it feels like so it feels like it's fate that you now own it i don't think we ever imagined we would own it i mean we it was a real privilege it was sid's um previous boss at the time who said where would you like to go and he said I really want to go and try Simon Wright's food and the French cafe was, you know, the top restaurant at the time. He wanted to learn by experiencing it. 
And then he said, obviously, I want to take my girlfriend, who I was fortunate to be at the time. <laughs> <laughs> he won me over. So to be able to buy it after so many years, it's kind of, yeah, you feel grateful. Do you, you feel re- really do grateful. Do you remember? It doesn't matter if you, do, you We went to a, a beautiful restaurant in Oxford. We were at Oxford University called G's. It was a Victorian glass house, and we went back there this year, actually and had a, a great meal with our kids, product of our relationship, obviously. And uh, But I remember, because I impressed her with it, you know, I, I didn't have any money, I was a poor student, but I, 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 we bought a, a bottle of uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and you know, which was ridiculously expensive in England at that time, and I think we did have some seafood and so on. Do you remember what you ate? I do. I remember eating the duck, the, the signature dish of Simon, uh, right, uh, which was a, a duck with kumara, bok choy, and I think that was probably one of the first times I tried duck because I owe a lot to Sid in terms of opening my mm. taste buds. I used to be a vegetarian mm. when I came to New Zealand to the point that I thought a cheeseburger at McDonald's was cheese in bread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had, when I started dating him, I used to look through Jamie Oliver cookbooks and try and figure out what prosciutto was or what the heck he was. It was like learning a different dialect or a different language. Yes. So he kind of opened that up for me. So for me, every time I went out with him back in the day was an education. Yeah. And he would say, well, this is confit. What is confit? (laughs) Oh, it's slow cooked. You will love it. it, There's a lot of trust as well because I'm like, will I like this? I haven't experienced this because fine dining in New Zealand was completely different from what I'd experienced in fine dining in India. Yes. So he ha- he, he was bet. like a little tutor to, for me and he would say, okay, you can, you can try this. So I do remember quite a bit of what we were eating on the night and also how I felt quite um, stiff, like I had to be in proper behavior. <laughs> yes. Someone's watching and, you know, someone's folding your napkin for you. So it was very yes. all very proper and... Right. But it was in a very elegant experience. Were you in love back then? I'm sure you still are, Sid. With food or with her? (laughs) (laughs) Both. Both. Uh, Yeah, totally. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. Speaking of um, Indian, Cassia, uh, another institution now, contemporary Indian cuisine, and look, you know, I know it's a marriage between sort of that traditional that you you will both know so well, and I hope we talk about that in due course, and then, you know, that modern creative culinary skill that you obviously have um, so, so strongly. Um, If I went to Cassia, what what would I... Run me through a meal. What would I be wanting to have? What's... We've been open for eight years now, so we've become known for a certain set of dishes that we're just not allowed to take out. So starting from pani puri, which is this crisp semolina shell, potato, chickpea, tamarind, a bit of mint water, all eaten in one go. It mm. just kind of sets the tone straight away. Mm. And you have a nice gin and tonic or a cocktail with that. And then <clears throat> there's a dish of carrot again. <laughs> and it's got like cashew, sorrel, uh, roasted whole, and just kind of sliced, caramelized, and we're just not allowed to take that off. Then lamb chops, which have been on since day one. Mm. The garnish changes with every Which is season. a great Kiwi Indian dish, really. Exactly. Yeah. You can't beat New Zealand lamb, yeah. especially with a bit of spice, ginger garlic, mm. uh, caramelized medium rare. Do you have goat? Goat, uh, every now and then. Uh, I'm not big on the goat, but no? I know a lot of Indian friends can't get enough of it. I think it's got to be done properly, right. cooked on the bone. It goes a bit dry if it's quite lean. Um, then we move up to duck leg, which is cooked overnight, and then kind of like a spin on butter chicken, like a sauce made with cashew, tomato, fenugreek, mm. and that's people's favorite. Pork vindaloo, so again, Hawks Bay free-range pork, cooked overnight, caramelized vindaloo sauce, so real sort of punchy, uh, tangy flavors with tomato, ginger garlic, a bit of cider vinegar. What would so, we wash all this down with? A beautiful Chardonnay, maybe, with the yeah. pork pork and Chardonnay so good together. Mm. And then Cassia's been known for desserts as well, where it's quite Indian flavours, but real modern techniques. And again, using everything in season at that time. Because I think a lot of Kiwis find the Indian desserts... I, I obviously love the Indian cuisine. I've got friends who have Indian sweet shops. Um, yeah. I, I hope they're not listening. I don't think they'll be listening. But I, I pretend that I like them. I don't like them. Yeah, I, I guess they find them too, challenging. Yeah. 
Is it a different palette or something? For sure. It's just, it's, it's a different uh, experience because they're made for festivals and more for sharing, you know. Whereas what we do at Cassia is, again, taking that whole experience, whether it's entree main or dessert in terms of its creativity. And then you've got your new en- endeavour, Coal, which is about fire, food and cocktails, which um, it, it sounds like the Cirque du Soleil or something, right? <laughs> I mean, it says if someone acrobat down onto my table or something. Um, cocktails, let's let's go there because that's a, you know, that's not, maybe it is. I mean, I think in modern India, I've been there, had the privilege of spending a bit of time in India, there's a lot going on in terms of cocktails. What, um, what, what sort of, what do you reckon I'll be drinking if I go into coal on a Thursday, Friday evening? So as Prateek and Mangesh, they're going to be the masterminds for the drink program of, we, we call that, whether it's cocktails, mocktails, and other things going on. But we really want to take people on a journey of, uh, again, they're almost like chefs. Bartenders have the similar kind of philosophy. So they become these mad scientists where they're playing with different you know, techniques, yeah. whether it's distilling something, whether you kind of do, like just putting flavors together to develop for, say, a year or so. And then you kind of uh, filter it, uh, as you you know, whatever is in their kind of thought process. He did one. He roasted macadamias and then blitzed it with a little bit of bourbon, Mm. and then he froze it. So basically, clarified all the flavor together. And I think that's going to be something that's you know going to be pretty popular at at call. Fantastic. I'd, I'd try and stay away from any of those ones with coffee, <laughs> right? Because they, they create the worst evenings of my life. Especially if you have one at like early early, early evening or something. One's okay. Seven's not so good. No. You're both drunk and, um, and sort of high on the coffee, which is, yeah, it makes for um, bad sleeping. Um, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, I think one thing that's true is, I mean, we're, we're often, and it's a journey, you know, I found it's, and I presume it's true of these other two as well. You know, often, you you know, there might be a a, a, a taster, a starter, a broth, you know, a sorbet, all of these, and, and small courses, by the end, you're, f- you know, full as a bull. You yeah. know, you really stuffed yourself because the mind has had time to um, digest what the stomach is digesting as well. I think that's amazing. Um, and that wasn't really a question. That was me just wanting to say something to yeah. you. The other thing I, that, that is interesting that is a question is, you know, so if I kind of am stereotyping, and you probably reject this, but so I would sort of say French cafe for a special occasion. Cassia, I might take my family and have a great, you know, night out. Um, and then I feel like Cole sounds to me like I'm going to have a good time there before a great night out on the town. What yeah, do you reckon? Yeah, for sure. That, or you could just spend the whole Sunday there. <laughs> <laughs> on those on those mocktails. Because yeah. we want it to be sort of a real cool neighborhood joint. Lounge bar. Yeah. Totally. It's got two outdoor areas, so when it's going to be the sun coming out, we just want people just to make a day of it. Well, you don't want to rush anyone off to anything. If they want, where we find there is, well, I find there is a real niche to for coal is that where does a 30 something person go to have great cocktails great drinks and great food without going to a cocktail bar or a restaurant because you know restaurants kind of focus on food and drinks are great but they're not the focus Mm -hmm. as well we wanted equal focus at coal for both drinks as well as food so you can just come there have drinks and a couple of um, skewered items cooked on the tandoor or the fire. If you want to just chill and enjoy the sun, look yeah. at Western Park, yeah. do that. Um, if you want to have a full meal, no one's going to push you out. You, there's no. enough choice on the menu that you can continue have a full meal. Take your kids. Sounds like a lot to. of fun. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, you'd use this, you don't have to pay me a consultancy fee. Some kind of circus element to this could work as well. I'm just... I think Just the cocktails might have some of that surprise. <laughs> I tried one the other day. They, uh, the bartender tried one on me um, at Cassia. And th- I think the table next to us also loved the theatre and ordered a couple more. Uh, there was like a, a bubble that came up and you popped the bubble and smoke came out. So there's that mm, element fun. of fun. Yeah, excitement. No, and dining, dining should be fun, isn't it? Yeah. Otherwise it just gets... Otherwise, do it at Boring. home with a microwave meal. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Why do you go out? You want to yeah. have fun and you want to see something you, you can't create at home. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm going to stick with you, Chand. I feel like you are the person who's going to give me the best, most upfront answer on this. What's Sid's style in the kitchen? I mean, we, we see all these TV shows of these short-tempered dictators who are hitting their staff or not not hitting them, you know, yelling, yelling at them. Um, obviously, there's health and safety laws, so that's yeah. not how it goes so much anymore. What's, what's Sid like in the kitchen? I think as people, you know, you evolve as cultures, you evolve. What was cool back in 2001 is no longer cool yeah. and accepted anymore. Mm. And I think as, as you mature as a person as well, your style evolves and how your, your management evolves. I've always known Sid to be someone who is calm, yeah. who uses a tone versus uh, yeah. his hands, pans or whatever you yeah. want to call them. He's got the scary tone. You know when you've pissed him off. I think that I can feel that. I think that's. I think it's the military general, Dad. Yeah. Right, that's yeah. deep in him. And I must admit, when I was there, um, I loved watching the kitchen. Someone dropped a pan or something. It only happened once. And and um, <laughs> and and the um, and one of the senior chefs was kind of like looking around. I think he was looking to see what your reaction was. But I don't know whether you were there or not. So it, it said to me, yeah, I didn't get any sense of you know bad behavior or yelling or anything mm. but I felt like there was a tone and you do need high standards you're mm. not going to create a special restaurant if it's kind of anything goes I think what Sid once said was um, a, a good kitchen a well-run kitchen is like an orchestra yeah everybody sings to the same tune and you're just there as a conductor amazing um, if people start you know going off tune that's what the conductor's job is to bring yes. them in but you'd never hear a conductor say, hey, stop, yo, or yell, yeah. because that would ruin the experience. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Now, um, so you've got these three top restaurants. You, you've got kids of similar ages to mine, um, you know, a preteen. It's intense, right? And, and what I know, you know, again, watching the chefs, is it's hard, physically demanding work. Um, so is being at the front of the house and, you know, dealing with all the pressures there. How do you both keep life in balance? I mean, you have sort of time, or you don't, or, or you have time carve-outs, you've got daily ro- routines and rhythms. How do you make sure you stay sane amongst all of that? I guess we each have our own ways of dealing with it. Like Sid, I think, goes to the gym first thing in the morning and... Mm-hmm. Nothing can come in between that. It has to be something really special to be able to stop him going to the gym. Even on holiday, he will do, yeah. he'll, go, he'll go to the gym. Whereas for me, a holiday is like, why would I want to see the gym? Let's <laughs> pile the carbs on. I'm with you. Uh, so that's just, that's just his way of keeping sane. Um, I guess my way is I found boxing on Wednesday. Kind of lets it all out with, the best, with one of my best friends. And we just punch it out. Hammer it out. Hammer it out. <laughs> so fitness, um, I mean, and then you just kind of build things into our life as a family. Like Sundays are sacred. We don't take anything on a Sunday. Um, we just want to spend time with the family and the kids. And what does eating look like on a Sunday? Sunday lunch is, <clears throat> is usually outside. So either yamcha or we might go. Are you we, making that or are you, you buying that? Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, like, are you are you cooking on a Sunday? Or have Sun- you had enough by then? I try and, and stay, just... yeah. Tr- sometimes on Sunday night, or Mondays. Make, like, or, or Mondays is usually the thing. Sunday lunches, you know, you see people enjoying um, eating out th- right through the week. That's what you want to do on a Sunday. You want to do the same. You want to have a glass of champagne. You want to eat something yummy, and you want to hang out with the family. Do you ever do you ever let a um, cheeky 
big dirty hamburger across your lips or are you sort of your body's a temple and you don't do that oh no I love it it's all carrots Uh, I love KFC I'm so sorry to say but it's true well I've got to tell you something then good you've given me permission because you mentioned cheeseburgers before I mean so so my boys um, they're two days apart two years two days apart Um, for their birthday I've decided what we're doing and uh, you know um, it's 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 what I would call high and low culture. So we are going to have a McDonald's cheeseburger eating competition, and we <laughs> nice. are going to see how many. But we are, and I'm not just saying this now because we are going to go to Sid's at French Cafe, and because I know that they will get something wonderful out of both of those experiences. Probably not on the same day. This is like yeah, a week of fun. fun. Yeah, I, I I agree with you completely. That's what I do. I let the kids go and have Macca's once every two months. Drive through, because they gotta try both ends. Yeah. So you know that you've not been deprived of junk food yes. when you grow up. You don't go and just binge on it. Yes. Because um, if you've raised your kids just to eat healthy, 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 well, how do they know what's well, healthy? When they go to healthy, university, healthy. they'll turn into terrors. Exactly. Because they've never. No, I think that's right. Um, I want to talk to you both about sort of you know who you are, where you've come from. And I suppose your influences, you know, in terms of what you've done in the kitchen. Let's start with you, Sid. You're born Chandigarh, India, 1980. It makes you four years younger than me, just want to say. Your dad was a general. We've established that. Your mum was a business professor. That sounds like a pretty kind of serious background. It was pretty serious. doesn't sound like there was a lot of KFC in that background. It sounds like it was kind of... Yeah, everything, even, even back in the day when I was, like, say, 13, 14... I had to be home by a certain time after playing my sports. If I was half an hour late, then there was repercussions for it. Um, so there was that sort of military structure my dad had kind of, in a good way. It was. You Did know, you move around because you were uh, because he was in the military? Um, I, just more on holidays. Right. I was based in, in Chandigarh, but we used to get to go to Kashmir and Bangalore and wow. Delhi and all, all sorts and. That was that was amazing. Just to see different cultures. India is such a big country, and it all changes when you go from one to the other. Absolutely, it's lots of different countries in a way, isn't it? For sure. And food styles. What What are your first memories of food? And I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of how that, if that has much effect today. If you can still think back to what it was you grew up on, and that's still where you go for comfort, or uh, I guess it's more of a breakfast thing for me. That's very nostalgic and. Um, I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents and she would always make this sort of stuffed flatbread with potato, a bit of green chili and onion and then just slather like tons of butter on top, a little bit of yogurt on the side. I just can never forget that because it's not like she'd make 10 and just have them sitting there. You have one and she's making the other one. And just as you're having your last bite, the second one just lands this is why you need to do so much gym. Yeah, sports, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's something that's really stuck to my memories. And Indian food is very different back home. It's not like your butter chicken you have every day. No. It's like meat cooked on the bone in a pressure cooker where there's just few ingredients, few like few spices, and it's more like a broth or a stew rather than this rich thick sauce that you see in restaurants. You know, you, you still get that as well. My, my sense is... High-end Indian today in India, say if we're in a Delhi or a Mumbai or you know a bunch oh. of other cities, it's out of control. It's amazing, and we—I feel like we, we don't even comprehend what that's like over here in New Zealand. Do we have anything approaching that in New Zealand? Uh, um in terms of modern Indian, yeah, um, I guess Siddharth is is what it you know that's yes. what they, uh, what uh, we used to do, and I think Leslie's doing the same. Yep. Uh, I think he's got a bit of Fijian flair in there as well. Um, but if you look at the world, it, it's just exploding. The top. Like there's some restaurants in the world uh, where it's present in Dubai, Indian accent in India, a few others. They are just going insane. Gagan, which is in uh, Thailand, Bangkok, they do like 20 snacks. You eat everything with your hands. And he's been one of the best chefs in the world. Amazing. Yeah, and I'd love to go. And how did you get you? I know, I think I'm right to say 14, you're at hotel school. Tell, run me through that and then how you got yourself to being a chef. Um, so that was uh, an easy way out of school. Right, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't really that academic. So when I saw this ad for hospitality course, uh, as as young as fourteen, uh, I convinced my mum to send me there. I, I was sort of more into the glamour for hospitality. 
I used to see all these guys wearing suits and looking sharp. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll become like a reservationist or something like that. And then slowly, once I started the course, I, I found this love for cooking, and that, that's what I just kind of pursued. And Chan, you're born in Delhi, and you, unlike Sid, who's you know walking out of school at 14 and going to home, you've got degrees up the wazoo. I think I'm right to say in psychology, education, fundamental yeah. education, you've been a teacher in New Zealand. You know, I know also from your background, you're a traveller, and I've heard what you've said about Sid sort of giving you some. Um, education, if you like, in food, but actually, you, you, you're also a foodie. Give me a sense of your upbringing and what you're. Um, what do you remember about food growing up? Um, my mum is a great cook, and so she would always introduce us to um, what my friends would say. Oh, what is that? We don't know. She'd make tacos from scratch. Right. So she'd go to America, she'd see Californian, Mexican, and then come home and back to India and start making tacos. She'd introduce you to Chinese. And we're talking, um, you know, as I was growing up, none of those things. India wasn't a very open country at that time. It had just, you know, was plowing its way through. You'd find Indian cuisine, you'd maybe find a little bit of Chinese mixed with Indian, but you'd definitely not find Mexican, you wouldn't find dumplings, you wouldn't find exotic foods, but mum was always cooking them. So my palate was, even though it was vegetarian at home, was very, you know, getting accustomed to trying these different foods. And I loved eating out to the point that my family kind of said, are you going to go into hospitality? I was like, no, that probably killed my love for food. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be cooking the same thing yeah. every day. Yeah. I like eating. I don't like cooking <laughs> as much. I know that feeling. Yeah. So my grandmother used to say, oh, well, then we'll just get ma- you married off to a chef. <laughs> Lo and behold, she's no more. But it was fate, just like Sid's at French Cafe or yeah. first date. Yeah, so it was kind of a prophecy that came true. Um, so, yeah, I definitely loved eating and I came to New Zealand when I was 17 not knowing anyone probably started to study right yeah, yeah probably started the second wave of Indian migration yeah. myself there was no one in the University of Auckland who was an international student who was an Indian yeah amazing. at the time probably there was even no pastoral care or anything so it was quite a steep learning curve coming to a country that not many people in India even knew where on no. the map it was no there have been these different waves of Indian migration to mm. New Zealand. You know, I know the good Indian, Indian friends have been a long time. Mm. You know, some with worse Kiwi accents than me. <laughs> yeah. But obviously in recent times, a whole fresh wave. Right. It's, um, you know, an amazing part of modern New Zealand now. And Sid, um, one other thing that's sort of... So we've got you to the point where you're, you know, you're in training to be a chef. You, you, I suppose... <laughs> You probably never were going to be, but you could have been an army cook, but somehow you got yourself into the world of fine dining. And, you know, one of the theories is you've got to have a thousand hours of training or whatever it is to become amazing at something. Um, I'm, I'm just interested in this period before you get to Siddharth and kind of the making of you as a great chef. Um, so after I finished my course, we moved, I moved to the Middle East, Oman. That's, why, that's where my parents used to live and work. So I did my apprenticeship at the Grand Hyatt, and that was for two years, and then they employed me as a commie chef. So commie is basically the first sort of break you get as a chef. Um, And that was tough, really tough. It was a big hotel. Uh, I was working in the fine dining Italian restaurant, and first two hours you would just go take the trolley to the like uh, storage and all the deliveries and just load vegetables, uh, meat, uh, fish, and once you finish that, you stack that on the shelves. And then after that, you had to load trolleys and trolleys of wood for the wood fire oven. So before you actually picked up the knife, it would be a good three, four hours. And that's, those are the times I think you really respect how life is today. Sometimes I feel like we've got it quite easy now because people want to become like second in charge in a year's time. Yeah. And like, uh, it took good us, luck. It takes 10 years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. So I really respect that time, and uh, I learned so much. It was really hard. The temperament of chefs, the structure was so much more stricter back in the day than now, and I really enjoyed that. You know, like I, I was not allowed to see a docket when the, you know you just had to listen to the chef call out the 
table of 10 and remember all the degrees of different meats cooked Gosh. for that table. They wouldn't stand for that anymore, Sid. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, and then I think I'm right to say, I might be making this up, I feel like w- w- if not your first, one of your first was great Italian institution in Auckland, no longer with us, Toto. That's right, yeah. <coughs> so no, um, my head chef in the Middle East used to work at Toto. And when I told him I'm moving to New Zealand, he said, oh, why don't you go and work at Non Solo or Toto? Toto's didn't have any positions going at that time, so uh, Non Solo Pizza absorbed me, and that was awesome. Yeah, it was a great d- institution. Yeah, it was during the America's Cup, so yeah, they were doing like Busy. 300 people a night, uh, five hours sleep, back, back into it. And that's where going to the French Cafe was amazing for me to see a different style of food, which uh, even working fine dining Italian in the Middle East was still not quite the level of something like French Cafe. So if you think now, who are the, um, in New Zealand or internationally, who are the chefs you sort of, um, who are the ones you really would say, yeah, man, that they are, that guy or girl was amazing? Uh, for me, uh, Rene Redzepi, uh, chef from Copenhagen. I think he's probably similar, like, similar age to us. What revolution he created for food, because uh, before he was came in the limelight, it was all like molecular gastronomy. Mm. It was all the scientific cooking, and it was just too precise and too conformed. He just came and just changed it all. Mm. He went into foraging, he went into fermentation, but again, with that technique together, he just changed the way people looked at food. So for me, I think he's one of the pioneers uh, for the last two decades. Uh, but then you have likes of uh, Massimo from uh, from Italy. Yep. You have Ben Shuri from Australia. It's just it's endless. There's so many amazing chefs in the world now. Same as in in the country. You have Juan Bebe. You have you know just Michael Meredith, Ben Bailey. They're just all. And these are guys you know well, right? Exactly. I mean, you guys have been mixing in the same and similar restaurants for, for years, sure. and probably drawing off each other. And and I think that's where Auckland or New Zealand is just buzzing with all these different styles of food, different cultures, different cuisines. It's it's awesome. Fantastic. And Shand, I've given that we've we've done the French Cafe story, but actually, so you, you two met, was it a blind date or was it, I feel like a friend hooked you up or something and there's a real Ponsonby theme here. You know, you've had Siddharth, you've got Cole um, and that was that was sort of the start of it all. Uh, well, I was flattered. And it's around this time? It's before, well, it's clearly before Siddharth. It's yeah. before Siddharth. It's when I was still a student. I just, yeah, I was still a student at the University of Auckland doing my Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and English. And I was flatting with one of his friends and he came around. Hmm. And it was a Love bir- at first sight? Yeah, I really liked his car. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it red? Was it no? Fast, it was a or? Mitsubishi FDO. Oh, it looked good. like wow. a Ferrari. Boy and racer. Uh, yeah. Yes. Boom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I had to do it just for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought he was. That's valid. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we were going on a you know another friend was cooking. The mum was cooking biryani, and we were going out to this event. You know, someone's mum cooking. Free food, yummy, delicious Indian food. So we were going gonna go to that and decided we'll go have a drink at Whiskey Bar, which is in Ponsonby. Brilliant. Yeah, and then, then the night never ended, and here we are. Wonderful. That's fantastic. And it's all going <laughs> so far, so good. Um, quick fire on a few things. I'm just interested to know. Michelin stars, I'm not even sure we have in New Zealand. Are these are a great thing or a load of baloney or something in between. What do you reckon? I think they're good because uh, it really sets the benchmark in terms of what restaurants are at the, that, that time. So I think if, if you're traveling to a different uh, country as a visitor, it's good to see those kind of accolades for a place so you know what, what you really want to try. Um, yeah, of course, it gets a little bit overwhelming for places because they're always You've got driving. to stay on that treadmill. You have you to. lose us half a star, and you you know you're in a terrible space. Hundred percent. It's it's very it, it's taxing as a, as a business because you always there's a financial outlay to become a three star. Right. You have to have a, probably a thousand wines on your wine list. You have to have the best of the best ingredients. So it, it is a lot. Would of, you consider that, or is it just not? Is it is it? I don't know how it works in terms of getting it to New Zealand or. So uh, Australia and and New Zealand are one of the few countries that don't have it at the moment. But I, I would say in the next 
five years, hopefully we'll we'll get a we look into it. We have the hat system, yeah. which is equally yeah. uh, reliable, which is done by Cuisine right. Magazine in New Zealand. Right. And that is giving people a guide, you know, if you go to a three-star, this is what you can expect. If you mm. go to a one-star, this is what you can expect. And I think what we do talk about is where do we see a concept or a restaurant to be? We don't see, for example, coal to become a three Michelin star or a three-hatted restaurant. So if you set yourself a target and say, this is where I see myself to be, or I don't even want one. I just want to have fun. I just want to make people happy. And make yeah. people happy. There are so many times we've gone to uh, <coughs> a two Michelin star and it's been all right and we've gone to something that has no stars and it's been even more fab. Which, of course, though, depends as well on the ambience, the time, the wine you drank, mm. who you're with, exactly. how much sleep you've had, <laughs> Yeah, something you uh, had too many um, uh, coffee martinis the night before. Something I like about the Michelin Guide is that it's just not about fine dining. It's about what they think is good. So, they, they, you know, Hawker Market uh, stall, I can't remember Singapore. the name, in Singapore is one star. Mm. But then you could go to the most pristine setting in Tokyo and that could still be a one star as well. Yes. So that's yes. I like that kind of they're not holding it just for fine dining or smart dining. I'd like to go to some of those Spanish ones. I feel like you know you could blow a lot of money but have a really good time in Spain going oh, around Spain. Some of those, um, yeah. Um do you two either alone on date nights or with your kids do you eat out much? Uh, at least once a week. At least every Sunday lunch with the kids. Right. And w- w- I suppose I'm just interested we at top foodie chefs actually go to eat. Throw a bone to one of your competitors. Um, so, I, I mean, just the two of us or with with kids? Oh, either, either. Um, I quite enjoy Mr. Morris. Um, right. I enjoy... Ahi. Ahi. Uh, again, then, that's that's sort of like the smart dining scenario. Mm-hmm. But then on a Sunday, we'll probably go to, like, Prego. We go Blueberries Inn. Kids love a place called Nanam, which Hello is like... Hello, Beastie. Yeah. The kids decide on a Sunday where they want to go. They do their top... At the end of the year, our daughter even does her top ten. She's like, move aside metro, move aside cuisine. I do mine. <laughs> she um, should publish it. It could be a winner. For sure. Social yeah. social media sensation. But then, I mean, sometimes we just like to go and hide in a quiet place where we know friends, like Apero is one yeah, of our favourites. Totally. Apero and a new place called Toki, which is just a, a, a chef and friend who used to work at Siddharth and Cassia. Are they intimidated, do you think, when they see you come in? They're I'm like, not oh, sure. <laughs> oh, no, we better kind of make sure we yeah, cut um, that sashimi right. I, you hear stories sometimes, but I'm like, come on, just just cook. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone should just cook normal for everyone. And we always try and find hidden gems as well. So, yes. you know, just the real obscure places doesn't have to be right in the city. Uh, Remura's got some cool things happening, a place yep. called Spiga. So it's important for the kids and for us to try new places too. About. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I, and briefly, I I know you, Chad. You you know you, you love travel. You don't know favorite places abroad or here. If I could if I could click my fingers right now and you were somewhere, and it was all expenses paid, where would you be? Ooh, probably Seychelles. Mm, beautiful. Because I've been there before, and I just right now all I'd want is a cocktail in my hand and over water bungalow what somewhere. What sort of cocktail are we talking? Oh, something nice and fruity. Um, a margarita, maybe just sit somewhere on somewhere tropical, looking at the weather. We have lovely weather today. Yeah, just chilling with the kids. Fantastic. So same for you, Sid. You'd be- yeah, Fantastic. I would love that. We always end this with a section we call general knowledge, which is three questions. And I'm going to, because we've got two of you, I'm going to ask one and then one, and then we'll let you both have a go at the last one. So, Chand, if you could take one thing from your home and only one thing, you're running out from an emergency, what would it be? Can it be the dog? Because I know the kids would kill me and I, I would suppose. kill myself. I suppose. What's your dog's name? <laughs> Odin. Right. What He's, sort of dog? He is a Maltese crossed with a mini foxy and he literally saved my life in a way two days back because I got stuck under the house doing an organic at 10pm and the door shut on me and no one in the house could hear me. What's that sort of gardening you've got down there? What are, you, what are you doing down there? I was doing the inorganic collection. Oh, I'm sorry. So right. I was trying to right. get all the junk from underneath the house. Right. And I got stuck there. And you I'm, could still be there. We'd be I like, could, where is Chen? What is she doing? She's got a podcast to record. I literally thought that, <laughs> you know what? It's going to come home, find the garage door open, the kid's in bed and think, my wife has finally left. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> 
maybe the cops will find me after Amazing. a few days. Well, he's a good, he or she's a good dog. That's fantastic. Um, Sid, um, your best night out ever. Oh, um, <laughs> so that's that's a hard one. I guess uh, before the pandemic, we had a holiday booked, and that was for my 40th. So we're going to go to like four amazing countries, and that all got scratched out. So we planned to do my 40th at Cassia. So we had a bunch of all close friends in the PDR private room, and that was that was amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. What were you drinking? Oh, uh, a sorts. magnum of champagne. She, I mean, it was not. Right, yeah, it was fantastic. slightly bigger than a magnum. Fav- you're, where you're, you're probably not allowed to say because you probably got deals here and everywhere. But you know, what, a favourite champagne. Um, I love this. Um, I love Louis Rodra because. Yeah, we stock it, and yeah, it's it's just a great champagne. It's amazing, uh, but uh, a champagne called Henry Girard, which is a very small producer in in, in champagne, and but again, there's so many amazing champagnes that this it's a very hard question. And um, both of you, what's the best advice given to you, and who gave it to you? For me, it was no regrets. Don't have any regrets in life. Some decision may turn out to be custard in the future. But as long as you don't look back and said would have, should have, could have. Mm. And that's what I kind of live by. When we wanted to buy the French cafe, we that's the discussion we had. We said, would you regret not buying it? What's the worst that can happen? You know, we'll go back to being, you'll be a chef, I'll be a teacher. Yeah. But at least you don't have to live with would have, could have, should have. Absolutely. How about you, Sid? Uh, for me, when we opened Siddharth, um, there was a peak of recession at that time in 2009. And we, we thought, okay, the restaurant's going to be fully... That That's sort of what the media said, that Siddharth's going to be booked for three months ahead. We opened Siddharth, we had no bookings. Mm. Two booked one night, four the other night. And it really, um, you know, I was worried. I had the self-doubt that, have we done the right thing? Opening in a mall in three lamps, is that... Is that what's not bringing people in? And a lot of my friends stood by me and said, well, just just keep your head down and just keep going. Believe in what you do. And I think that was really important for me, that that advice and that kind of uh, reinstatement. And I think that's what kept us going for so long. Yeah, I think that's right. So sort of keep calm and carry on. Sometimes what you've got to do when you're uh, in a tough space and... um, Look at you now, it's gone. It's gone pretty well. Hey, uh, Sid and Chan Sarawat, thank you so much for coming on Generally Famous. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producer, Chris Reed. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate soccer. Right? I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates soccer? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Listener.